Welcome to the ABM Conversations Podcast. The number one podcast for B2B marketers wanting to explore timeless account-based marketing strategies to drive revenue, customer engagement, retention, and everything that makes sense to both marketers and sales folks. No more fluff. No more vanity metrics. Live from India. Made for the world. Hello and welcome to yet another brand new episode of the ABM Conversations podcast. This is me, your host, Yagneshwaran Ganesh. So what we have for you guys to discuss today is we're going to talk about what does it really take to make your company acquisition worthy. And we have never covered venture capital or angel investing in the podcast before this, which is why I'm pretty excited to have Akhil Jabbar with us on the show today. Akhil is a technology investor at Horizon Capital who specializes in acquiring and growing SaaS companies with a minimum threshold of uh, 500K in ARR. And before joining Horizon Capital, Akhil was a growth portfolio manager and two-time CEO where he directly oversaw various aspects of marketing like SEO, content, and ads. I'm pretty sure we're going to be talking about that topic today from a marketing lens too, because Akhil comes with a rich marketing background. So Akhil, welcome to the show. How are you today? Hey, Yag, nice to, nice to be on. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm really grateful to be on today. Yeah, such a pleasure having you today. So, uh, you know, uh, as a jump off point for today's conversation, we want to start uh, with the fundamentals of, you know, capital investments and um, acquisitions as it happens in the SaaS world. Because if I understand correctly, um, investment and acquisition is probably not everyone's cup of tea. So help me break this down a bit. What kind of companies should actively look out for, say, raising investments or getting acquired? And how should these people, you know, prime themselves up for it if they have not actually thought about it? Yeah, that's an that's an ex- excellent question. I think every every founder should think about that. You know, take take the time to really think about that. You know, it sounds hot and sexy when you want to go out and raise capital, um, because I think that's what what's you know praised in in our society these days. But I think when you're going out to raise capital versus uh, you know getting acquired, the first thing you should think of is when do you actually need it? Okay, do you actually need the money? You know, or you're just doing it for for status and because you think you can find things to invest in. Um, so that that would be the first thing I say. You know, when you're looking to raise capital, make sure you need it. And then the second part is when you're going to a VC and you're saying, look, I'm I'm looking for some capital. The best time to do that is when you have some type of predictable growth engine. So I'm sure a lot of your audience know what you know predictable or consistent growth looks like. And if you can show that what you need is, look, you're, you've maxed out your business, you've hit a, a wall, and all you need is fuel to the fire, which is the cash you're infusing into the company. Um, you know that that makes it super attractive for for any investor. And I think you can make the story that you know without that capital, you just cannot grow anymore. Uh, that's a good time to go out and uh, and start speaking to investors. Now, the other part you talked about, which is you know getting acquired, the, um, there's there's typically a few scenarios we see when people are at the point. So if you're if you build a company, you should always think about what is your exit plan because at some point, whether it's five years, ten years, twenty years, there's there's no time, there's no right time to do it. You probably want to think about exiting and, and moving on, whether it's retiring, uh, moving on to another project, or uh, you know just just moving on to something else. Now we see a couple of things when when people come to us and why they want to exit, and, and I'll go through them kind of here. Um, the first thing is they've typically burnt out. Okay, they've uh, they maybe built this is their first time building a company. They've managed it, they've grown it, they built a team, they built something for themselves that's done well. 
but maybe they've lost the passion for the business. You know, five years in, six years in, seven years in, every day just feels like a grind. You're not enjoying it anymore. It doesn't have that same fuel. It doesn't give you that same energy that that you first started with. Uh, so that's when you start thinking about, okay, look, maybe I want to start doing something else. This 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 baby that I created, I you know, it's reached the point where it's no longer interesting to me. And maybe there's another buyer or some other owner out there that would be able to come back in, come into this with fresh energy and, and take it to the next level. Some other areas where people come at are, you know, they're not fully dedicated to growing the business. So what I mean with that is you have these founders who are maybe less focused. They're very good at building products, but they also love to go to the next thing and then the next thing. And they're, you know, you call them serial entrepreneurs or creators, uh, but they're always in between, you know, multiple startups, and which is fine. I mean, that's kind of what we do, but, you know, they're not really focused on, you know, wanting to continue to, you know, that one business is not their baby. Um, you know, they built it to a certain point and they just want to exit and, and get the most money out of what they put their their time into. And the last t- point, uh, this is the one where we really like to work with is when people kind of hit a plateau and they just don't know how else to grow the, the business. So we like we said, we only work with SaaS companies, but, you know, you've probably seen this yourself that maybe a lot of the founders we work with, they're very product focused. They put a lot of time into building a really nice product that the users love and they hit a nice point based on doing that, but they just haven't done you know, a good job or they haven't done much on the, the marketing and growth side. They haven't invested in it. They don't know how to do it well or they don't know what to look for. So that's when then maybe they look at, okay, maybe we need the right partner to work with who can come in, who understands the business, who is maybe smart in managing a business with more leadership skills, with better management skills. And obviously, they'll bring in their, their own expertise and uh, experience to be able to, you know, shake up the company and take it to the next level. So, you know, that, that's one where people come to us and say, look, we, we built this good product. We are, you know, at 1 million ARR. We've been at 1 million or, you know, just been growing 10, 20, 30 percent year over year. Uh, I think by working with you guys, you come in as partners, we'll, we'll be able to accelerate that growth. And, and I think that's a good point where we like to come in and, and have that conversation. Yeah, I'm absolutely loving this because, you know, all the four categories that you mentioned, um, you know, I, it feels like I pretty much know founders in all these four types. Most recently, I was talking to John Miller and, uh, you know, he was just saying the reason that he left Marketo and uh, started Engageu was that it did not feel like his baby anymore. So, yeah, uh, so much with you on what you said. And, uh, you know, uh, one thing that I find interesting about you guys at um, Horizon Capital is you are very clear that you have a minimum threshold of um, 500k ARR in the companies that you're going to invest or acquire. And uh, you do not accept any pitches from companies that are pre-revenue or anything under 500k. And although it looks like, you know, you're limiting your options or say the potential of discovering a company that might be really, uh, really raking big big revenue in the future. But I think you you guys have already put in a lot of thought into why you're doing that. So the question that I'm going to ask you now is, uh, you know, is revenue the only yardstick that you look for when it comes to, uh, you know, companies or are there other metrics or possibly non-tangible indicators that you evaluate before making a decision? Yeah, ex- excellent question. So revenue, I think, is only one part. We have an overall kind of scorecard that we look at. I think there's about, you know, 50 different micro points that we'll look at at a business and how we we assess it. But the reason why we have that that kind of revenue threshold of uh, 500k ARR we're actually kind of moving up slightly more than that. We're actually, our sweet spot is 500K to 5 million. Um, you know, there's people who are, are better at the 5 million plus than us. But uh, at that point, they're, they're, the company is usually at a stage when they generally already have product market fit. Um, anything before that we feel is a little bit, you know, riskier. And at that point, I think that where VCs maybe have that better appetite. 
And it's a sweet spot where, where we feel our team can come in and we can make the biggest impact and, and provide the biggest value to the growth side. So that's why we decided with that part. Now, in terms of other metrics, there's definitely a bunch of other metrics, but high level, I'll mention a few that are super important. And I think uh, SaaS companies should really pay attention to and, and track because that's what well, you know any investor is going to look at and is going to be asking you that. Um, so the first one is the lifetime value. Uh, how you know what is the value of one client if you know they're paying hundred dollars a month are they sticking around for for two months or are they sticking around for two years uh, we like you know at least fifteen hundred dollars kind of as a, as a good starting point for for lifetime value um, the other metric we look at is churn so churn is you know basically defines how loyal is your user base how happy are with their product how sticky are, are your your users and we like to see you know less than 5% per month. So I know some people like negative churn. They like, you know, a really, really low churn. Some people are willing to tolerate higher churn. Our, our sweet spot is, you know, less than 5% per month. Uh, you know, we, we like that kind of business. So, and then the third part is there isn't a single client or user that doesn't represent more than 30% of the revenue. So if that, rev- if that client was to disappear, you know, tomorrow, do we lose, you know, 30, 40, 50% of our revenue because it's so dependent on the one. So what, what I'm saying, all that, all that, what that's saying is, is there a loyal user base who's happy with the quality of their product and they feel that there's real value in, in the SaaS product it provides? So that, that's essentially what we look at. So revenue is just kind of the, the first kind of uh, part of that. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, especially when you spoke about uh, that part where um, you're not looking for one company that uh, that pours in 30 to 40 percent of the revenue. The, I think that that makes it very clear that you're looking at SaaS and uh, not typically an enterprise ABM kind of a model. But uh, here's, here's something that I really wanted to dig in and ask you. Um, say, you know, how do you look at a company that has raised funds or, you know, the impact of funds on the company, especially when they are setting themselves up? to be acquired like what kind of impact does your fundraising rounds have on their acquisition overall so you're saying if they've if they've raised funds how does that look like versus if they let's say they bootstrapped yes so if they've raised funds or like three or four rounds and then they go on to the acquisition cycle so how are these companies evaluated is what i'm trying to understand yeah so i'll I'll, I'll kind of show it from two different perspectives right so from a, a vc's perspective you know it's good to show that accelerated growth uh, and it's kind of what they're looking for is a little different than what we are, right? Um, if you're if you have that, you know, you're adding fuel to the fire. You've raised capital, and you're showing that that growth, that hyper growth. What you're going to get is you should expect a higher valuation. There's no kind of going around that. If you're going 30% year over year versus 100, 200, 300% year over year, you're going to get totally different, you know, uh, exit valuations. Um, from a VC perspective, they're obviously if you've raised two or three rounds, they're they're really looking for that next round of financing. That's their first uh, kind of objective is like you raise your Series A, they're betting on you that you're going to be able to go out, hit your objectives, and then raise your Series B. Their next goal is then for you to go and obviously at some point IPO this company. They're betting that they want 100x plus on your on this investment. And obviously the last option for them is to exit. And for them is, you know, they're, either, they're, they're, they're accepting when they make that investment that they're either going to lose their money or at the minimum if they get their money back on their investment, um, you know, they, they understand that's part of the risk of the entire portfolio. So we've seen those instances where, you know, they they make an investment and, you know, 3x, 4x, 5x return. It just isn't interesting for them um, because it's only growing at a certain, you know, maybe 30, 40 percent year over year. And they'd rather focus their their energy on the company that's they've invested in that's growing, you know, two, 300 percent year over year. 
So for them, they would actually just, you know, rather sell that business off and focus on, you know, their unicorn that they're betting on. From our perspective, we actually prefer companies who are, you know, completely bootstrapped. And and I'll tell you why. Because when they have that that investors behind them and backing them, it can add a bit of issues and risks. Um, So, you know, every time you add more people to your decision making uh, into the mix, you know, it can get a little bit more complex. So when they're, you know, it starts from the initial conversations, uh, from the valuation expectations to how we structure the deal, to the timeline, to the legal side, to the interaction with the team. There's just so much more layers of complexity um, and there's more people to go through to make decisions and decide whether they want to do the deal or not versus if it was just bootstrap. Um, when we talk to bootstrap op- owners, um, you know, it's obviously fully in their controls. They can move a lot quicker. And, you know, it's up to the founders if they, if they like the deal or not. So I think, you know, from that perspective, just think about that. Every time you're raising capital, you know, you're giving up a little bit of control. And, uh, you know, that comes with the, you know, can be issue, you know, down the line. Um, you know, if it's a good offer and everybody's happy, uh, then it's, you know, it should be an easy deal. Otherwise, uh, it, it can it can sometimes ruin the deal, even if the founder wants to get out and sell. Right. It makes a lot of sense. And I'm so happy that you said this because I'm a bootstrap head myself. And, uh, you know, when I've looked at companies that have raised funds, one thing that I commonly see is that, uh, you know, these products have pivoted at least five or six times within the first one year just to, uh, you know, understand which one is getting more traction and there is so much pressure. So I, I absolutely get where you're coming from. And I think, you know, one of the things that we love to look at in this podcast is, you know, look at a topic from all possible angles. So let me flip flip the script for a minute here and let me ask you this. Like, are there any possible downsides or say risks or maybe a general disclaimer about acquisitions that founders should be generally aware of? Yeah, good question. Now you're thinking it from their perspective. And this is probably something I think a lot of founders will ignore, right? They only see the the shiny object of exiting, getting the cash, but they don't look exactly. at you know, what comes after that. Yeah, that's a good point. So I'll say a couple of things. So the risk is, obviously, if you sell today, you're losing some of the upside compared to if you were to continue managing yourself. So just think about the opportunity cost. If you're selling, let's say, at a, at a 5x, let's say, EBITDA range. Okay, that's 20%, you know, return on your money. Do you have a place to, you now once you exit your company, do you have a place that you can take that money and generate at least 20% consistently year over year without growth or higher than that? So think about that part is, do you have a place to, you know, where you're going to put some of that cash and you're not going to lose some of that upside? Okay, now putting money aside is, um, what do you do after you've exited? You know, most people just look at the point of, you know, that is the end goal. I get to the point of exiting, I sell. Now I have all this money and that's the end of my my career or my, my uh, entrepreneurial journey. But the thing is, you may have more time now, you may have more money, but what you may have lost is your purpose. And I think that's, some people don't realize is, you know, being the CEO of a company is that that gave them their meaning in their day-to-day. Okay, so what I, what I guess I'm trying to say to that is make sure you have a plan of what you'll do afterwards because, you know, you know, when you exit, you're going to you know, go out and buy a bunch of nice things. You're going to go travel. You're going to sit on a beach for maybe a couple of months, but you're going to get, you know, you get to a point where you're restless and you're going to need some more purpose in your life. So if you're planning to exit, I think it's good to have a plan on what you'll do with your time. And maybe it's another project or another business or, you know, something interesting that'll keep you, uh, you know, give you purpose in your day after you do decide to exit. 
Right, right. I'm loving this conversation. Um, <laughs> you know, all right, let's uh, switch gears for a minute here and uh, talk about acquisitions from a marketing point of view. You know, that's that's your core background as well, as we mentioned in the beginning of the show. And as you and I both know, uh, you know, the, uh, the investor pitch deck plays a very important role in getting the investor's attention. And if I were to go by, um, you know, what my good friend uh, Zineb and Taryn, you know, who run a pitch mentoring company called Pitch Slap in Barcelona, what they say is that, uh, you know, too many companies come up with about 15 to 20 slides that never really touch upon the key things that an investor is looking for, which which is really sad. And uh, because our podcast is all about helping the marketing minds increase their likelihood of success, like what would be your top like three to five tips for SaaS founders or their marketing teams on how to get their, um, you know, pitch deck right? So I would say it's a little bit slightly different if you're going out to raise your, your uh, round versus um, you know, looking for an exit. But at the end of the day, what people are looking for is they want to see trajectory, they want to see opportunity, they want to see the growth potential. Um, when you're looking, if you're creating that pitch deck and you want to, um, you know, go to a potential acquirer, make sure you have you know your numbers first of all, and make sure all your data of uh, of your business, if there's any questions that are asked, is super easily accessible. Have everything organized and easy to share. You know all your reports, all your know what your LTV is, know what your your CAC is, what's that ratio, how fast are you growing month over month, year over year, how does that look like over time from day one, how does that look like today, and you know talk about your risk, talk about your your problems too. Um, it's good to to focus on only the good, um, but we want to know the truth of the company. You know, don't hide. You know the issues; they're going to come up at some point, and you're going to just be wasting everybody's time. You know when we find them at, at the future. So you know, be transparent. You know, there might be we might be able to work a deal around that, and be able to still structure the deal. But if we find it later on, you know, that's generally uh, you know a bad sign that you're trying to hide something. Um, and another thing is when you're looking to exit, make sure you have SOPs, so standard operating procedures, prepared for your team. As a buyer, you don't want to come in and feel like you have. You know, such a big responsibility to try to figure everything out, and there's so much dependency on the future on the a former founder. You want to come in and know that there's processes in place, there's the right team in place, there's the right management uh, in place that you can come in and you can understand it uh, as simply as possible. But the uh, another big thing is that a seller or a buyer is going to ask you is, what is your reason? Okay, that's a big question. Why why are you selling? And make sure you have that story as straight. And you know, be as honest as possible because you, they're gonna they want to understand that what if you really see the potential in this business, if you really love it, if you put your passion and your your heart into this, and you aren't able to grow it, then maybe there's something wrong, or you're you may be hiding something. So you know, just try to be as transparent as possible there. Um, and then at, at the end, you know, it's, it's all about really showing the upside of what you built. You've built something that's trending upwards. You built a good product. I think a lot of people focus maybe too much on the product and I wouldn't create more than maybe, you know, two, three slides on the product. Um, you know, don't, don't, don't show me every single screen of your, your product and what it does and how it works unless I ask for it. Um, and then the worst time to sell for you as a founder, you know, a lot of people think it's counterintuitive. You shouldn't sell it when it's on the decline. Okay. Um, there may be some opportunistic buyers who will like this kind of deal and, you know, see that decline as an opportunity. But at the end of the day, you're not going to get the best price on it. You're not going to get the best valuations, and you're probably going to sell it for for you know at a fire sale. So, um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully that you know is is helpful. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I really love the fact that you touched upon uh, factors like, you know, be transparent and uh, tell me everything so that the deal deal is like very clear. And that is something that I'm I'm generally very curious about because, you know, most of the time we hear um, news and headlines about that, you know, so-and-so company got funded for so-and-so amount and the news kind of dies uh, after it completes its shelf life. But often we never hear much about any company that initially got funded but failed to keep up with the accountability that it owed to its investors. That's that's what he just spoke about. And because it's not discussed much, I think it's a topic that is very important for every company founder uh, You know that they should really pay attention to. So what typically happens in, in uh, cases where you invest into a company and it fails to deliver on the goals? Like, take us through a case if, if you <laughs> have seen something like that. <laughs> this, is, this is all part of the game. Right? This happens uh, you know, more than you think. And obviously, we don't you know, talk about about it too much, but I think it's important to share it. And I think, based on that experiences, your your investment thesis gets better. You know, over time, your experience gets better. You know what to look for in businesses, and you make uh, better investment decisions. Um, you know, I think one I think mistake a lot of people make when they're looking to make acquisitions is they really focus on the the opportunity. Especially as marketers, I think we say, okay, you, you've done a little bit of SEO, but we can do some link building. We can build better content, and you know we can drive growth or do some conversion rate optimization, and we'll we'll take it from one percent to two percent, which is fine. But what we we need to realize is you know as an investors is you need to really just focus on the risk. Because the opportunity will come, the growth will come, and you can focus on that. But before you get to that and get excited is, you know, just really look at the risks of what the business has and uh, just try to plan for it. Whatever the worst case happens, try to assess every possible when reviewing the, you know, risk possible. Um, but like you said, sometimes there's just some things that are out of, out of your control. And this has happened, you know, I would say a couple of things. Um, some of my first deals that, that I've done, this was even before in the SaaS space, uh, you know, I bought a content, content uh, site that was... Uh, monetized through ads and i think this one was through google ads and uh you know google decides to to shut down our ads account and at that point we lose you know what's that like 90 percent of our revenue so you know we essentially lost that website took you know for for a couple of months until we were finally able to to reinstate it but you know lesson learned your all your dependency was on on one source of revenue lost it all and uh you know, it, it made a big impact. And that also happened with, with an affiliate site where um, the site was fully dependent on Amazon. Same thing, Amazon decides to shut down the account and we weren't able to recover that for, you know, more than more than six months. And then they actually even shut it down once again. So that was another lesson learned of, uh, you know, not being so dependent on a single source of, uh, you know, big player like that. Um, it happens as well where, you know, competition releases your product for free. So that's happened a lot where, you know, you can see some of these bigger, Smaller players trying to come out, they build something unique. Then maybe somebody like Google or Amazon, you know, come out there and they they release the exact same product on their marketplace for free, and now your value loses, uh, you know, a lot of the customers. Um, another thing that's happened. So I mentioned that where a big client um, loses its, uh, it ends up deciding to cancel their agreement with you. So this, you can see this with enterprise or mid level, where let's say the comp- you know one enterprise client represents fifty percent of your revenue. And, you know, you can probably adjust for that in your valuation. We've done that before. We say, okay, we'll pay this out. There's, we'll put an earnout component that as long as this company or this uh, this client stays with the company, we'll continue to pay out the valuation we agreed upon over the next year or so. Now, the, the thing is what we don't account for is what happens when we do lose that money, right? When If they do lose it, that 50% revenue overnight disappears, what do we do with the company? Now we only have 50% of the revenue to work with. 
And sure, we can go and try and get out, try and get a new client, but you know that's going to take time. But now we have all this team to manage. We've got payroll to make. We've got all this revenue. We just don't have as much cash to work with to be able to to fuel the growth as as we did before. So you know those are some of the the risk, and you know these things do happen. Affiliate partners and um, you know traffic is another big one. So a lot of our marketers may may understand this, where for example, one keyword you know, drive, say like 30% of your traffic. So same thing with the the other side where your user represents 30% of your revenue. Does 30% of your traffic come from, you know, single keyword that you rank for, you know, not brand related, but, you know, something like, uh, you know, C- you know, best CRM platform, for example. And, you know, that drives a lot of your traffic. And if you were to lose that, would you lose, you know, a lot of your leads um, and your infusion of, of basically revenue that you that you were generating before? So I don't, I don't know if that, that answers your, your question. And those are some good cases for you, for people to look at. Yeah, absolutely. It is something, you know, uh, what he just said is also a little hard to swallow if you were a founder. Uh, you know, it's it's tough. But yeah, what happens to these companies? Like, you know, is this considered to be a sunken cost? Uh, uh, is it done and dusted? Like what happens to these companies at that stage? So if they do, we'll come up with a new plan at that point. So if we say we lose a client at that point or, you know, competition comes out with a free product, we try to, you know, always test, right? As growth marketers, we're always testing and and trying new things. So we just adjust our plan and we look for a new kind of solution to to replace that that income or that traffic or that we'll we'll keep pushing on it. We don't we don't usually give up until, you know, we hit a point where, you know, the time and energy is just not worth it to focus on that business. And maybe there's uh, you know, if you're spending 10 hours on this business and you're just trying to turn it back around to, let's say, add, you know, $10,000 uh, a month versus if you're, you know, putting that same 10 hours in another business and it's it's the company's growing and by adding 10 more hours, you're adding, let's say, $100,000 a month, right? So it's just a, you know, time kind of a value kind of uh, measurement at that point, but we'll keep kind of trying to different different tests and run different marketing experiments until uh, we can we can try to build the company back again. Right, right. That makes sense. And uh, with that, you know, we we come to that part of our show, which is more like a game show. We call it the rapid fire section. So are you up for it? Let's do it. All right. So in the rapid fire section, what we do is, uh, you know, we ask our guests um, quick, short questions, sometimes very pointed questions. So the questions might be short, but your answers need not be. You can just go with the flow. So here's my question number one. So if you had two companies in front of you who operate in the same domain, have almost uh, ARR in the same ballpark, and they're headed by equally talented founders, like how do you decide which one to invest on? Like what kind of questions would you ask? What are the indicators that you would look for? <laughs> That's a good question. So I, I, am, I usually try to be, you know, as least emotional, take the emotion out of the equation. And as an investment, just make a, a pure kind of, uh, you know, decision based on the quality of the business. I think I'm looking at two things. One is the the growth. So you're saying the size is the same. That's fine. Same quality of founder. That's fine. Uh, we're looking at which one is growing faster. And then we're going to look at the next thing is which one has a better market opportunity, which one has a bigger, you know, growing market, which has a bigger market and total addressable market we can tap into and probably make a decision based on, based on those two factors. Love it. You know, this this show is becoming a masterclass today. I'm, I'm absolutely loving it. Uh, all right. So here's question number two. What's one thing that you don't like about VC firms in general? And what do you think VC firms can do to improve that? Oh, VC specifically. I don't I don't work with too much VCs. We're more like micro private equity. But I think um, I think there's a lot of pressure on them for founders to to exit. I think there's only one path they give to them. And I think there should, you know, there is some new models coming out that people should consider that doesn't force 
people into a certain constraint of how people should operate their business. Um, you know, there's more than one way to run a successful company, and I think uh, Vichy should uh, you know appreciate that. And, and I know they're they're all about capitalism and trying to get as much money as possible in their investment. But uh, you know, building bootstrap companies or building you know profitable companies that don't just focus on on uh, you know being neg- you know cash flow negative uh, is something I probably don't like. Uh, we we like cash flow. We like business that are profitable. So that that idea of burning capital or, or you know burning as much capital as possible just to fuel the top line probably not something that I that I like in the space right now. Right, right. Which also tells me that you might not be excited about what's happening with Clubhouse right now. <laughs> it's a, it's an interesting place, but uh, yeah, I, I, I don't understand it from the VC side. <laughs> right. All right. So here's um, question number three. What's your favorite acquisition story from the SaaS world that you think has changed the fate of companies or its founders? Mm-hmm. I don't think I have something off the top of my mind. Let me think here. Um, yeah, that's a good question. I don't. I don't have one. I don't have one right now. I can share with you. <laughs> All right, no problem. All right, here's uh, question number four. Let Let me take you back to the time where uh, you know you were the CEO of a bootstrap company. Say you have the executive power to call the shots in your company, and you are making about five hundred k in ARR, and you have three buttons in front of you. That is the three choices that you can make. One is to keep growing organically. Second is to uh, seek funding from a VC firm to keep up with your rapid growth, and third is uh, you know getting acquired by a industry heavy hitter like say a Microsoft or a Salesforce or a Google. What would be your choice and why? So I would say it depends on my my state of mind at that time. How do I feel about the company? How do I feel about myself running it? And where do I see the, the you know where do I see myself in this position in the next six months or so or the next year? So if I look at it from a year perspective. If I'm excited, if I like this business, if I'm still growing it and I'm excited every single day, no matter how fast we're growing, if we're trying and we're, we're building this company, I'm going to go with option number one, which is you know just keep using the cash we have. Um, if it's if I feel that I'm I'm burnt out and I'm tired personally, and I feel like there's somebody else who can manage this better than I can, and it's it's really the issue is me as the CEO, and I feel somebody else can can do a better job in taking this company where it deserves to go without my involvement, then I'm going with option number three and and finding a strategic buyer to to take it to the next level. Awesome. Love that. And uh, here's the final rapid fire question. What's one thing that you want to uh, say today to the founders from minority groups, like say maybe women or Hispanics or anyone who doesn't get enough representation in the SaaS tech world to encourage them to proactively go about seeking uh, funding or growing their company organically, whatever means, like what would be your words of inspiration for them? So I would tell them, I understand, um, you know, your pain is real. Your What you're facing against is, you know, double what a, a traditional kind of, uh, you know, founder kind of image looks like. I'm a, you know, an immigrant myself to made, you know, with that, with that appearance that, uh, you know, lives in Canada. But, uh, you know, I imagine it's probably twice as hard being a woman or somebody with, you know, more disadvantages in this world. It's just the reality of what it is. But I will say this, you know, don't let that let you down. Don't let that bring you down. You have, uh, you know, just, just fight and, you know, show it with your actions. I think it's the biggest thing. Don't show it with your words. Um, I think that was my my biggest thing was, you know, people always like to judge me based on, you know, who I look, who I look like or who I am. But at the end of the day, I think what people will start ignoring all that once they start seeing your actions of what you're capable of doing. And once you start bringing those results, you know, all that all that fades away. 
love it you know as as an indian myself i can uh, you know relate to most of what you just said um, so really beautiful um, so now we come towards the end of our show and uh, always we ask our uh, guests to share a parting message i mean which you almost always did but if you can give some advice from um, say from a organization standpoint like you know as a founder standpoint what would be your parting message Uh, so I say, you know, founders, if you guys are looking to to exit, if you've reached a point where you feel you need that help and you've hit a plateau, you know, don't, don't feel uh, afraid to ask for help. You know, a lot of people think they that they try to power through it, and you know, you're a CEO and you have to do everything yourself. Um, you know, get involved in a mastermind group, talk to other founders, you know, be vulnerable and share your problems, and you'll be surprised of you know how many people have that similar experience and are able to to provide you better insights. Um, you know podcasts like this are, are amazing i think don't you know don't be afraid to listen and uh take take as much knowledge as possible from the guys who who spent 20 30 years um in, in in one niche that you're probably facing today amazing so for the listeners of the podcast today like you know if they want to uh, connect with you what is the best place to find you and uh, what can they connect you with for yeah sure so a couple of places we have our own podcast as well you can check it out it's called sas district so we're we're on all the the podcast channels we're also on youtube i'll just look for sas district otherwise if you're looking to to exit your company uh just go on our website or uh you know sas uh, horizon capital that's h o r i z e n capital.com or if you're you know an investor and you're looking to be part of our horizon investment club uh we also have that you can fill out a form on our website and uh we'll happy to be chat with you All right that was fantastic you know i i loved um, the conversation with you today akil and uh, it it was so much of value that i think we have to go back and listen a couple of times and take a lot of notes and for the listeners of the podcast today uh, that's that from us and uh, until we catch up with you next time next week with another guest it's bye from me yag take care Thanks for listening to the ABM Conversations podcast. Make sure you subscribe and share your comments with us. We're constantly looking for your feedback, thoughts and suggestions to make the show more relevant to you. 